0: heart-stopping herons, that just might be the case after yet another late and dramatic victory. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, aka Miami Total Football Radio. I am half of your co-hosting team. My name is Franco Panizo, and joining me this week, once again, is Jose Armando. He is filling in for El Primo Steve Brenner, who is again away on, we'll say, national duty in New York City. Jose, how are you this week? Hey,
1: Franco. I'm happy to be back, back to back, so I'm excited about this. Things are looking good for Inter Miami. Plenty of, uh, of um, you know, defensive aspects to talk about, which might not sound exciting to people, but right now, that's the name of the game for Inter-Miami. They're very good defensively, and they're getting results.
0: Yeah, I know you asked the question to Phil Neville about that after the game, so I'm sure you have plenty to say about the defense. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this weekend's late dramatic victory over FC Cincinnati. We're also going to touch on Robbie Robinson's controversial decision to leave Chile's camp, and we'll also touch on Romeo Beckham, who has signed with Fort Lauderdale CF, as well as the upcoming game this weekend against the Columbus Crew. So, a lot to talk about. So, Jose, let's get to it. Okay, Jose, so as we just mentioned, Inter Miami pulled out a 1-0 victory with a 90th-minute goal from Breck Shea on the road at TQL Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio this past Saturday. Another three points for... The, for the Herons, who are now undefeated in eight or have gone unbeaten in eight of their last nine games, the good run of form continues. This was the starting lineup for Inter Miami in the match. You had Nick Marsman in goal, Kelvin Leardam as the right wing back. Your three central defenders in that five man backline from right to left were Leandro Gonzalez Pires. Nicolas Figal and Christian McCoon, and your left wing back was Breck Shea replacing the injured Kieran Gibbs. In the midfield, you had Captain Gregory returning after his one game suspension. Next to him was Blaise Matuidi, and up top, you had a front three of Indiana Vasilev on the right, Gonzalo Iguain as the striker, and Lewis Morgan on the left flank. That was the starting 11 for Inter Miami for Phil Neville, and not the prettiest game. Again, they get a late goal that. Saves their blushes. It would have been a disappointing result, as we had mentioned last week, given where Cincinnati is in the table. They're really poor run of form. They're now twelve games, un, uh, excuse me, twelve games winless. They haven't won in twelve games. So Inter Ryan gets it done at the end of the day. We'll talk about the performance and the result. But what was your biggest takeaway coming out of this one, Jose?
1: Well, I think you know you have to look at it. Um, uh, the positive side is, of course, that you get the three points. Maybe the performance was not what we wanted to see we wanted to see maybe an inter-miami team that will dictate tempo that will dominate the game but um uh, you know those two things could have happened and you end up with a draw right so um you you didn't play to your to your to your best level during the 90 minutes but in the last second you you're able to get that goal so you get three points and i think you take them because listen Phil talked about it in the press conference and, and he mentioned that good teams always find a way to win. And um, I don't know if Inter-Miami is is where um, Phil wants it to be or or fans want, want the team to be, but that's true though. You know, good teams usually find a way to win. And I think that's exactly what they did against Cincinnati. Not a good performance, but you get the three points in the end. One goal it's more than enough. You move forward.
0: Now, For me, the biggest takeaway is that Inter-Miami has been, but now even more so as of late, been developing this quality, this characteristic of being a team that pulls games out late, that can win games late, that doesn't stop pushing and maybe doesn't know when to quit. Maybe that's a byproduct of the, the... situation that they're in that they need to get results that they need to make up ground that they need to get themselves out of the hole that they were in when they were in last place i think maybe it's a byproduct of that but this team is demonstrating a quality that they can win games late because this is the third time in the last six matches that inter miami has won with a goal in the 90th minute or later so that's a pretty good stat uh in terms of that that quality that characteristic inter miami has also scored a goal in the 80th minute or later five times this season to win games. So out of the seven victories that they have this season, five of them have come with goals from the 80th minute and beyond. So that's that shows that Inter-Miami is capable of pulling things out late. Maybe you want them to, to win games a little bit earlier on or, or put the games away like they did against Toronto FC so that your hairs aren't turning as gray as maybe Phil Neville's are right now. But I think that is a, a, a notable trend or a notable stat to, to keep in mind, because that's why I refer to them maybe as the heart stopping herons or the heart attack herons, because they keep giving late moments of, of joy and ecstasy, a lot of suffering in between to get to those points, but they, they have found ways to win late on. What do you attribute that to, Jose? What do you think is is the reason for that? Do you agree with me that maybe it's the situation they're in and that they continue to push? Because, you know, Phil Neville could have easily set up shop and said, hey, you know what, a point on the road, even though it's against, the, it's against the, maybe not the best opponent, is respectable, especially that we haven't played that well, but he kept pushing because the goal comes as a, as a byproduct of Inter-Miami continuing to push. They practically had all 10 of their field players almost in Cincinnati's half on the play where Nicolas Vigal hits a, a wonderful cross to Brecce. We'll touch on that goal in, in more detail in just a bit, but what do you attribute Inter-Miami's habit of scoring late, the penchant of scoring late winners? What do you attribute that to?
1: Well, you know, I think you know it comes down to the leadership. I think within the team, um, early on, the team was obviously struggling, and I think that time really helped the leaders to 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 just step up and talk to their teammates. and And maybe there's there's that belief within the team that they are able to win games in MLS. You know, early on, Phil was talking about it. You know, about the collective effort and. Um, I think the team is getting there and and, and it comes down to the leadership. I think players like uh, Leandro Gonzalez-Pires, you know, is a player that, you know, with his performance, he can can talk, he talks to the referees a little bit too much. I I, I get that, you know, I've seen that a lot in in the games (laughs) and he talks to the referees way too much. But if he talks to his teammates the way he talks to a referee within the game, within the, you know, the the training facilities, I think that type of leadership helps And, and, and as time goes on, I think we have seen a change in, in the team, and and I think it, it comes down comes down to leadership. That's that's what I
0: think. Okay, well, let's switch gears then and talk about obviously one of the biggest talking points after the match. One of the biggest subplots or narratives, which is the performance, because the performance put forth was not a great one. They get the, they get the job done in the end with that late goal, but the performance during the course of the ninety minutes was pretty. Pretty poor. It was pretty drab. Even Phil Neville after the game said it's one of the most, or one of the poorest performances that the team has had. I did not enjoy having to watch it back a second time. I always watch the games back a second time, but I was definitely dreading having to rewatch that game because there was just not a whole lot in it for either side. Inter Miami only gets one shot on target and it's that last or or that lead opportunity from Breck Shea. So in Spanish, you know, we say El Como. Es importante. The how is important. How important, though, is the how? The how they got the result in this game. How important is it to you, or how important do you think it is in general?
1: I don't think it's very important, just because, you know, you know already it's not a good performance. So, But
0: that it's against the 13th place team in the Eastern Conference. It's winless in 11 games going into that match, but now 12. Well, how, how important is it that you couldn't perform well or even close to something beyond mediocre or poor against that well, team.
1: You come to expect a great performance or a good performance or, or, you know, a dominating performance from a top team in the conference. But Inter Miami is not that. You mm-hmm. know, Inter Miami is a team still struggling a little bit, getting better results, but you know, still trying to find an identity. And um, they have been working a lot defensively. And when when you do a good job defensively, then you, you always have that one opportunity. And that's exactly what happened for Inter Miami this weekend. You know, they, they performed well enough defensively that um, that was enough for them to have the one opportunity to get the three points. So I get it that you know people want to see a little bit better uh, better performance from a team when when you're facing a last place team that's struggling for for so long now but the reality is that Inter Miami is not there right now. You know, they're they're okay team, and and that's why they have to win this type of game. So I mean, they have to win because they have to make up a lot of ground. But you know, you cannot expect for them to be um, dominating all the time, and they're gonna have bad nights. And I think they had a, a bad one against Cincinnati, and yet they were able to get three points.
0: No, there's absolutely. I'm I'm I agree with the overall thought. Now you didn't bring this up here specifically, but the overall thought that you know it's a good thing when teams that don't play well still find ways to win. And that's something Inter-Miami did here. They didn't play well, but they still found a way to win. And that's, like Phil Neville said after the game, it's a sign of a good team. I don't know if Inter-Miami is a good team yet, but it's definitely a good trait to have that you can now win games despite not playing well. Whereas maybe in the past, if Inter-Miami didn't play well, it might not have been able to get get a a result like this. So definitely a plus for Inter-Miami, but... I think the how I won't say it's as important as the result for Inter Miami given where it is in the in the standings in the table but in in soccer and football the performance is is important because maybe it works for you this week but it might not work for you in the longer in the longer term. Now Phil Neville chalked up the poor performance to giving the team 3 days off. He said that they needed mental and physical break after being put through the mill at, in recent games and recent weeks, and ahead of what will be a busy stretch coming up with four matches in 11 days after the Cincinnati game. So, that was his explanation that there was just some rustiness, some sloppiness. I, I agree with that because even Gregory, who, you know, the, the steely midfield captain who's almost always reliable, he had a, a pretty poor game by his standards, was dispossessed of the ball a few times, and just didn't look to have the timing that you need down pat, like a little step off. So I I will agree with that. And maybe the performance will get better once they get back into the flow of things. But I do think that the how is important. Again, not as important as the result, given where Inter-Miami is, but it does tell you where things are for for this team. And there's still some work to be done for this team. Yes, they had three days off. But if, if three days off affected you that much, against the against a team that's this poor, then there's plenty of work still still to do. Because I'm, I'm of the belief, and Jose, I know some people agree with this, some people don't. I don't know where you stand on it, but I'm of the belief that if you play well, you give yourself a better chance to win. Now, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to win if you play well. We've seen countless times in the sport where teams that maybe don't play as well, they find a goal... Or to in opportunistic fashion, or in clinical fashion, and they end up taking the points. And then there's the there's the talk afterwards from teams about, oh, that was an undeserved result, or that was a deserved result, etc., etc., etc. So, I think Inter Miami has much to improve on. You know, Gonzalo Higuain didn't look very good in this one. Lewis Morgan didn't look very good in this one, and Lewis Morgan hasn't hasn't looked particularly good this season in the attack, which maybe bears more inspection and more analysis. Phil Neville said after the game that Gonzalo Higuaín is dealing with, with uh, a toenail laceration. He hasn't trained much over the last few days or in the days leading up to the game.
1: There's always something going on. with, with <laughs> Right? Isn't that the case? Like, there's always something going on. Um, but still, you know, I think it's, at some point it's going to come down to what, what can Pepita do for this team. Is he going to be able to win games for Inter-Miami when it matters the most? You know, I think that's that's how we're going to look back into this season, regardless of the of the stats that he might have. You know, if he's not able to score when his team needs him the most, um, I think that's how we're going to judge uh, at the end of the regular season, whether Miami makes it to the playoffs or not. It's We're going to have to rely on that a lot. That's the reality, because he's the key player in the attack for Miami. There's no doubt about that. I think you, you could agree to that.
0: No, I mean he's definitely the key guy and, and you know for me the key to the game going into it was having him deliver a DP type performance which he he did not he did not do but again the team in general did not play well it's not just on on him. Let's quickly change gears to something that I thought was very very good like very high level for me and that's Breck Shea's goal. For me it was un golazo, golazo yeah. because not only is it a game-winner in the 90th minute, which is what stands out the most, lo que resalta del gol, but for me, just the overall play, the overall sequence. First of all, we we'll start with Nicolas Vigal, who drops in a dime, sublime pass over the top into the space to find Shea. Breccia. But Shea's recognition of the space that was available, his perfectly timed angled run to to find that space... And then his classy, exquisite, deft, feathery, whatever adjective you want to use, I could go on and on. His first touch is a thing of beauty. The way he just stops the ball, controls the ball, receives the ball, and leaves it, just kind of kills all of its momentum. Obviously, there's still a little bit a little bit of momentum on the ball, but he, he, he by and large, keeps it in front of himself, close enough to him where he doesn't have to rush and make a decision to, in terms of his shot, Obviously, FC Cincinnati goalkeeper Kenneth Vermeer rushes off his line to try to, you know, force Breck Shea into a bad decision, but the first touch was so good that Breck Shea was able to finish it very clinically. For me, it might be the best goal Inter-Miami has scored this season. I'd have to really go back and analyze and assess and and look at all of them again, but it's definitely up there for me. I don't know if you value it that highly or appreciate it that much, but I think it was un golazo of very high quality, especially because of that first touch, because other, other players... They might take a touch away from goal or they might not take as clean of a touch and the ball gets away from them or it forces them into into a more rushed decision or a shot closer to, to Kenneth Vermeer. So it closes down the angle for them. So for me, un golazo, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's a probably I think that's probably, yeah, maybe the top. It's in the top three, top five, no doubt about it. Um, but listen, I think that's that's something that we sh- we saw from Breck Shea um, very early on in his career he has always been good with the ball technically, you know, and um, even, even though I remember him starting as a left back, um, I always thought he had early on before injuries and everything, you know, he had uh, that ability to move forward very well. I don't like what he has been doing for inter Miami um, this season, just because I I think it's been up and down, you know, I, I haven't seen a consistent performance from him, but Listen, that's a great goal. It's a great ball from, from Nico Figal, which we have to give him a lot of credit as absolutely, well.
0: Absolutely. Um, Half of the goal is on him, of course.
1: Right, right. That first touch doesn't happen without that beautiful ball. So uh, I give a lot of credit as well to Nico. A good ball. And just overall, you know, great to see. And and other than the three points, I think when you score late, um, that's a boost on confidence as well. And I think that's something that Inter Miami needs. And and hopefully, you know they they, they can they can they can continue to find um, that connection between the center backs and 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 the wing backs because it's going to be really important for Inter Miami to solidify offensively in a strategy. And, and so far, it looks like you know um, the, the 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 center backs are are they're not um, eager to move forward, but whenever they do, they have the technical ability if you look at Maccoon if you look at uh, Gonzalez Pires and uh, Nico Figal to initiate um, the build up and that's something very unique so hopefully you know Phil and the entire team are going to be able to take advantage of that
0: Well they have been taking advantage of that and I wanted to touch on the defense we can close out on that point because again it was something you asked Phil Neville about after the game and uh, about the defensive performance especially with those three center backs and I think that's been a big key for Inter Miami as of, you know, as of, not I'm going to say as of late, but since that 5 0 loss against the New England Revolution, since then, switching the formation and going to this look has really helped Inter Miami because I think we've said it on a number of pause now. It's given them defensive solidity in terms of closing up spaces in the back and being tighter and tougher to play against defensively, but also it's helped them with the ball because. Now they're able to knock the ball around a little bit better. And those three center backs are pretty good at hitting long balls in behind into space. Especially Figal and Gonzalez-Pires. I would say Gonzalez-Pires is probably the top center back in that regard for me. Just from what I've seen. Um, but all three of them have done a decent job of it. And it's it's translated into chances for Inter-Miami and into goals for Inter-Miami. So what do you think about the defense defense? Overall, because again, I know that's a big talking point that you had after the match.
1: Yeah, you know, to me that that was that was the impressive part—not impressive, but you know that was the the highlight for me. Um, the the effort defensively, and uh, I noticed since very early on in the match how um, gonzalez Pires was moving forward a lot, Makuu was moving forward a lot, and um, I was concerned initially because I thought, well you know, a bad giveaway from either player in the back, that's basically a counter or 1v1 with Marsman. That's trouble. And, and you don't want to give that opportunity, especially when you're playing on the road, uh, to your opponent. So that was a little bit concerning. But as the match went on, uh, you know, I, I was really surprised by the way um, they were able to move the ball around. And basically, you know, in the halfway point, you know, whether it was Figal, Gonzalez Pires, or Macun, they seemed very comfortable. They they looked at midfielders, honestly. So they looked very good with the ball. And that's why I asked Phil um, towards the end, at the end in the press conference, uh, because I wanted to get a little bit of an explanation on the work that they have, they, they have been doing in the last few weeks, because I think that's, that's a key part of the offense as well. It's very early on in the offense, of course, but you know, it's a, key op- it's, it's a key component for the team to, to function um, offensively. And when everything else is working for you, when you're playing at home, when you have more possession, I can imagine how that can be a very positive sign. But overall, defensively, which is, of course, they, their main role, I think they, they have been able to connect. They know each other now a lot better. They know how to move around each other. And, and that's that's something very impressive. And I think that's a that's a good good way to start. And, um, you know, I was talking to somebody else uh, just a few days ago about Inter Miami. They were asking me and, and I told them this team, honestly, they do have w- the one thing that maybe is lacking in, in one of in, in many of the top teams in the league. And it's good defense. Remember how Slatten with um, L.A. Galaxy, um, they were winning games 4-3, 5-4 because they had a, a very good player offensively that he could score plenty of goals. But defensively, they were not very good. And so maybe this is something that can help a lot Inter Miami becoming that team that is good defensively. And after that, they look uh, how to move forward in a positive way, and they can get involved some of their DPS because right now the you know the key players for Inter Miami are not Blaise Matuidi, not Rodolfo Pizarro, and not Gonzalo Higuain. The key players for Inter Miami right now are Christian Macún, Nico Figal, and Leandro González Pirez.
0: No, I, I agree with most of what you said there, especially with regards to the initiating attacking sequences because, again, Inter-Miami, to repeat what we said a little bit ago, the long balls that they have, that, that tool that they now have in their arsenal, the ability to skip lines and, and just get the ball into the final third in that way has helped them tremendously because we know that they haven't been the best this season in terms of... Always knitting together attacking sequences from back to front with the ball on the ground, progressing through your lines, through your defensive line, your back line, your midfield line, and then your your front line. So this has helped Inter-Miami become a little more dangerous, a little more potent in the final third, but they do need to get better at knitting together attacking sequences and being able to be a little bit more... Versatile in, in how they attack in order to really raise their chances of one making the playoffs and two making some noise in the playoffs because otherwise better teams are going to have better game plans that might be able to nullify this type of play from Inter Miami and then that makes things a whole lot more difficult. But Jose, we'll leave it there for this game. We still have a lot to talk about, including this weekend's game against the Columbus crew at home at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We're also going to talk about Robbie Robinson's decision to leave Chile's national team camp. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, so I'm very curious okay. to hear what you have to say. And we are also going to talk about Romeo Beckham signing with Fort Lauderdale CF. So I already heard your oh boy, so um, let's take a quick break and then we'll get into that all that after this. The three points is another sign, it's another signal, It's another. it's another little notch on our... Uh, on our wall that this team never knows when it's beat, never knows when to give up, never knows when to stop trying to win the game of football. And we said at half time the technical staff, we've got to be brave to try and win this game. The substitution to put uh we brought Robbie up front. We wanted two players up front. We changed the system and brought Victor on, put, played Rob uh Lewis Wider in his wing back role. Uh was a decision to try and win the game. And uh and we did. Okay, horses so we have a few things to touch on in this segment. Normally, we just touch on the upcoming game. But before we do that, there's a couple of talking points that we should discuss. And we'll start with Robbie Robinson and his decision last week after we recorded to leave Chile's national team camp to continue to assess, assess excuse me, his international future. Chile's fans didn't take too kindly to that. Phil Neville, when we spoke to him in the press conference, back in person, by the way, we're back to doing things in person again in a press conference setting. Phil Neville said that he didn't want it to be a big thing. He didn't think it should be a big thing. He he really defended Robbie Robinson. But, like obviously, right, but obviously that's not everybody's stance. Not everyone sees it as rosy or as positive as Phil Neville does. There's been a lot of outcry, so much so that I believe on the post that Robbie Robinson put on his Instagram in which you know he said he was going to consider his international future and return to Inter-Miami and thank the Chile Federation for, for having him in camp, he had close to, and my number might be off here, but he had close to maybe 17,000 comments and a lot of them were from Chile fans that were very upset and very irate at his decision, so much so that he ended up taking comments the comment section off his Instagram account. I don't know if he's put them back on, but last week after the reaction initially he took them off so you couldn't comment on any of his pictures that had been t- that had been removed. Oh, the comment section. I just pulled it up on my phone. Robbie Robbins comments are back on on his Instagram account. He has 19,574 comments on that post with the Chile national team gear on. And obviously, as you can see, still it's uh, a lot of lot of critical critical responses or remarks. Jose, what did you think about his decision to leave Chile's national team camp? There's obviously two different thoughts or two prevailing thoughts here. Which one are you on, or what do you think about about what he did?
1: Well, to me, it's disappointing. It, it's disappointing because um, I think when you take on the responsibility of playing for the national team. You have to be ready. You cannot go and um, just try it out because you know it's it's a, it's it's a completely different game when you play for the national team. You know it's it's more about you know understanding how football is viewed in Chile. And you know if he knew exactly what he's what he was up to, he would have never done something like that. You know um, to me with him you know shutting out the comments in on his Instagram account that tells me that confirms to me that he wasn't ready to go to the national team and um, and, and and he he had no idea exactly of, of what what was coming his way with him just going. People were very receptive of him and that's the first thing that we should say uh, when the, when the conversation started about Robbie Robinson going to Chile, People were very receptive there, even though he has not a lot of experience at that professional level. But the expectations were high, and they embraced him really well. Now, he gets there, and he decides to fly back and just leave the country, leave the team one day before they play Brazil. That doesn't look good. And to me, that's, that's the word. That's, that's the one thing. To me, it's disappointing because uh, I thought he was ready, but honestly, he was not even close and and hopefully he gets an opportunity to play at the national level. But, you know, whether it's in, in Chile or here in the States, you know, he's going to have some he, he's going to have to learn how to handle things. And then hopefully Inter Miami helps him and, and develops a, a, a good player, because I think it, it, he's still in the developing phase. And at some point, he'll get an opportunity at the national team. I doubt it that he's going to be with Chile, though.
0: So you would label it disappointing.
1: Yeah, it's disappointing. To me, it's disappointing.
0: Okay, yeah, I think it was not a, a smart decision for him to go to Chile's camp. And this is just my opinion. This is not information. I'm not presenting this as information. This is just my opinion as, as someone that saw, saw how things unfolded. I don't think he should have gone to the national team camp. He was there for, what, two, three days? And then he flew back to continue to assess his international future. If you're that undecided, if you're that unclear about it, don't go. Because this is not just a national team. This is a South American national team where the sport is, you know, people live, eat, breathe, sleep. It's it's a lot of what people in South America think about. And these are World Cup qualifiers. This is not a friendly, this is not a national team camp ahead of exhibition games. These are World Cup qualifiers. Chile was playing Brazil, was their first game in this window, in this international window. You don't go there just to see if you like it or not. Like... Continue to assess that here in South Florida. Figure out if you really are willing to commit, and if not, then don't accept the call-up. I, look, I've I've seen it, like, as you have here in the United States, with predominantly Mexican-Americans who get torn and have to make decisions. It's part of being a, a, a dual national, the ability to represent two countries. I get that. I myself am Peruvian-American, so I get that. But if you have to think about it, then that much then don't then don't accept the call because no, no. It, because it does right. look look like if you if you read his his uh, his Instagram post and I'm going to read it here, he says thank you to La Roja fans players, coaches, and staff for the warm welcome as I had the honor of joining national team camp. I've really enjoyed training with you and feel very grateful for how well you've treated me at this time. I've decided to return to South Florida to take some time to process my international allegiance while helping Inter-Miami push for the playoffs. Thank you. So that right there to me reads, obviously, as I need to decide if I want to play for Chile or play for my country of birth, the United States, which the U.S. has never called him up. The U.S. did include him in the preliminary Gold Cup roster this summer, but he wasn't on the final squad. He's never had a call up to the U.S. national team, but it does come off as him seeing Chile as a potential backup plan. That's how it comes off. And that's why Chile fans are... Uh, that's another reason why they're upset. Because you could have turned down the call-up and said, you know, look, respectfully, I just don't know yet. I don't think I'm ready to commit. And that's fine. But to go and then to leave three days later, it's kind of... To me, that's kind of... Uh, uh, not the best way. La, la forma es The way you do things does matter. And I think he mishandled this. I think... It's part of him growing as a young professional, understanding the, the the weight of his decision here. But I think it's a it's a lamentable one. It's a it's a regrettable one because I don't think it was a good decision from him.
1: And, it, and it's and it's a missed opportunity for him. And, and I'm sure, um, not long from now, he he'll realize that he missed an opportunity there because you know, listen, it's gonna be tough for him. To go back to chile and yes and you know you know how fans are you know how fans they, they do have an input you know unfortunately things here are so different you know that you know just a few days ago when when the united states played um in the world cup qualifiers against canada mm-hmm. you know just a few minutes later a lot of people and i know there's a soccer family that's growing here but you know people have something else to do. They started looking at college football and whatever's going on with preseason in the NFL. And, and in in Chile, it's not like that. You know, um, they were probably talking about Robert Robinson all night long, uh, the night that he left. And the next day against uh, playing against Brazil, they were talking about the game. And that's all that people talk about in the country. And so maybe, you know, Robert Robinson had no idea that at the national team level, you know, there's, there's a lot more than just 90 minutes and being ready for the game. You know, mentally, you have to be there. You have to show that you are ready. And um, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's just disappointing.
0: No, for th- absolutely. We'll see how things unfold if he does get a U.S. call up at any point in the near future. I don't think he'll be getting a Chile call up again anytime soon. I don't even know if he would, at this point, want to go back because he's going to have a target on his back. Obviously, the oh, fans will yeah. sing a different tune. If he, if he shows up and starts scoring goals and helps them win games or gets assists, but he, upon initial arrival, he's not going to be a fan favorite. And look, there, there is a comparison to be made here with Ben Brereton, who, if that's a new name to you or you haven't heard much about that, that name or that player, that person, English-born striker with, of Chilean descent who received a call-up from Chile's national team. Chile's going through a generational change. They're looking for four more players He's 22 like Robbie Robinson. He accepted a call-up to Chile's national team this summer for the Copa America. Doesn't speak a whole lot of Spanish like Robbie Robinson, but he went in there, fully embraced the experience, and the fans took to him. Because not only did he fully embrace it and try to learn some Spanish and try to integrate himself into the team culture, he also tried to ingrain, ingrain himself into Chilean culture, and then he went on the field and performed decently, and now he's someone that fans like whereas Robbie Robinson has done the complete opposite. He's gone there for a few days, by and large from what they've said about him which sticks to what we've heard about him here in South Florida is that he's a shy a shy person. That's something that one of the Chilean players said in a press conference that he's a very very shy shy kid. Obviously, you know, we we, we don't we weren't at the training sessions, but in the little footage that I saw and you could say I'm making a lot out of a little but in the little bit of footage that we were able to see while all the players are, are making their movements and running in practice, he looks like someone that's very timid and not feeling all that comfortable. But again, he should have been better what's the word I'm looking for here? Just been better advised about about making this decision because it's right. not it's not just as it's not something that's taken lightly, especially not in Latin America. So we'll see how his international future unfolds. I'm, I was a bit concerned about how this would affect him mentally coming back to South Florida, but he came off the bench in this game against FC Cincinnati and, and looked pretty pretty decent. So we'll see how, how his season goes. Obviously, his focus now is on making the playoffs with Inter-Miami. Quickly, let's change gears to Romeo Beckham, who signed a deal with Fort Lauderdale CF. It's news that I first reported for Miami Total Football late last week. There's been talk about, well, is it nepotism? Obviously, his dad is one of the owners. He's playing with Phil Neville's son, Harvey Neville. Phil Neville's the Inter Miami coach. So there's, you know, there's been talk of nepotism, cronyism, etc., etc., etc. What do you think about Romeo Beckham signing a deal with Fort Lauderdale CF? Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? What are your thoughts?
1: Um, well, I don't think. It, well, listen, I think it's it's a talking point. I'm a, I'm gonna leave it at that. It's a talking point. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's you come to expect that, of course um you know that but a soccer team can i have a shot um yeah you can have a shot i can see that conversation happening um around dinner time uh, at uh, david beckham's house Um, (laughs) it's you know it's something that you come to expect um Especially when you're playing, you know, at at this level, of course, you know. While well, they're having while well, they're sane.
0: having fish and chips, they, you know, he was like, "Yeah, hey, you know what? I might want to try playing professional soccer."
1: <laughs> hey, yeah, you can have a shot. You know, we have we have a roster spot for you, so yeah, I, I think I think we can come to expect that. You know, hopefully he surprises everybody and and you know he takes advantage of the opportunity and becomes a, a good player, because I haven't seen him play. Mm-hmm. So um, I would love to see him play and, and see, you know, he obviously has a huge responsibility because everybody that's going to be looking at him will judge him immediately. You're getting this opportunity because your dad owns the team. So it's on him to prove that, no, that's not the case. I'm a good player and I deserve to be here. So, well, hopefully he gets the chance we get to see him and we'll see. But for now, I think it's just expected.
0: So so what I had heard, and I wrote this in my in my piece when I, when I put the news out there, And I haven't seen him play, so this is not my point of view. This is just what I've heard. He is a right-sided player, like David, and he can whip in a good cross. That's what I've been told. So similar characteristics in that way as his dad. I've heard he can play as a right back, so he can play in the defense, and he can also play in the attack as a right winger, so maybe a bit more versatile than, than David was during his illustrious playing career. Now... The comparisons will be inevitable because, you know, it's it's David Beckham, but we'll see how his career unfolds. He's 19 years old. He just turned 19 last week. I do think, look, that it's it's good in a way because having Romeo Beckham, and we'll see if he's a good player or not as time goes, but we'll see Fort Lauderdale CF stock improve now. People will have a little bit more interest in Fort Lauderdale CF, or maybe most of the interest in Fort Lauderdale is local you know, the people that are maybe interested in following the team is just uh, just the local fans or, or local people. Now maybe there's a little bit more appeal to someone internationally. Oh, well, let's go check out David Beckham's son. Let's see how he does with this team. So I think it raises the profile. I
1: don't think Miami will like that, though.
0: Well, right. So that's so, so like they don't really want oh, um, absolutely. a lot of this. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Because, look, they didn't even announce Romeo Beckham. There's been no official announcement of his signing. I put the news out there last week. He was on the roster for the Saturday game that they played against, my mind's blanking, Chattanooga Red Wolves SC at home. He didn't come off the bench. He was on the bench, didn't come off the bench. But they never f- officially announced it. They have not officially announced it. And I can imagine it has to do with not wanting to put wild expectations on him or the team. But look, he has the Beckham name. He's turning professional. He's been with the with Fort Lauderdale and he's trained with Inter-Miami at different points over the last few weeks that's that's something I had heard. It's also, you can see it on his Instagram account. So, it's going to raise the profile of Fort Lauderdale CF. Absolutely. For better or for worse. Now, where there is, you know, maybe not a not-so-positive element to it is that he is going to take up minutes or a spot, roster spot, from somebody else that may be deserving, may not be deserving. I mean, that's, that's obviously a coach's call. But from the outside, especially for maybe... A more local perspective, they might not take too kindly to that. Or even inside the locker room, you know, people will say, "Well, does does he deserve it? He's you know, he's Beckham's, he's Beckham's son. That's the only reason he's here." I mean, th- those type of elements can come into play, obviously, in a locker room, and it's definitely something that bears bears watching. Bears watching. Obviously, Fort Lauderdale CF not is not play is not a team that's about necessarily about winning. It's more about developing, but still. You know things like that can can influence the overall image. So we'll see how it goes. Obviously, there's there's definitely some people that think uh, the nepotism is reigning high right now, and that maybe he's not he's he shouldn't be on the team. That there is a conflict of interest because how do you deal with coaching David Beckham's son? Once he gets his feet going, is he also going to take it seriously, or is he going to go away and for weeks at a time, or on different different periods to do his his modeling and the other things, the other ventures that he's that he's into? Those are questions that we'll have to we'll have to follow. But Jose, let's switch to Inter Miami again, and that's this weekend's game against the Columbus Crew at home. There's, there's, they're a team that's not playing all that well right now. But they're above Inter-Miami in the standings, in eighth place in the Eastern Conference. What should we expect from this one overall?
1: Well, you know, obviously we we should expect an Inter-Miami side that, that that it's supposed to be aggressive. They have to be aggressive. They have to go for three points. I think we mentioned this before in the game against Cincinnati. You know, they needed three points from that game. I think they need three points from this one as well. Obviously, when it comes to the standings, you see where Columbus is at right now, and that's the target for Inter-Miami. You want to be there. You want to be one step ahead, one step closer to the playoffs. That's where Columbus is right now. That's where you want to be. That's the goal for Inter-Miami. Then you can fight for positioning. But right now, this is a game that is a must-win for Inter-Miami. Thankfully, you know, you you have you have had a quite a few days to get players rested, to get a strategy right, and this is a no excuse type of game for Inter Miami. They have to get three points. They're playing at home. They are playing Columbus. You know, it's it's a good team, but you know, they they have had their struggles as well. I think this is a must win for Inter Miami.
0: These are also the reigning MLS champions because they won mls cup last winter this past winter with uh, a victory over the seattle sounders at Matt free stadium so it should be a good test for inter miami they're in eighth place columbus is not in the playoff picture they have fallen out of the playoff picture but they're right there within reach this is a very big game for both sides what to expect from columbus i think their strength is in the midfield that's where Inter-Miami is going to have to to win the battle if they're going to have a chance to getting three points in this one because well, Columbus Crew is also dealing with some injuries. Jossie Zardes, the U.S. men's national team player, he's not currently playing right now with them. But in that midfield, they still have a lot of talent. They have Pedro Santos, Lucas El Arrayan, who is a very good playmaker. I think he's closing in on the record of free kick goals scored in an MLS season. He's very crafty. Pretty good little Argentine player there. They have Darlington Nagby, former U.S. men's national team midfielder, very technical midfielder, probably the most technical midfielder in MLS, if not one of them. Uh, at least I'm talk, talking about the central midfield spots, maybe not attacking midfield, but in the central midfield uh, position, he, he's probably up there as one of the most technical players. For me, the key to the game is winning that midfield battle. Now, what does Inter Miami do? Do they go with their normal look, five, their 5-2-3, their five, or do they maybe go 5-3-2 to try to match the numbers there like they did with New York City FC? Obviously, they lost that game, but I'm going to be curious to see what Phil Neville does because that midfield will be, for me, the, the most important element of this match. If you allow Columbus to pass the ball around and string together attacking sequences and, and boss possession as they like to do, it might be a long day for you because you're going to be chasing a lot of the match and getting tired and tired and tired as the game wears on. Now, if you can wrestle control of the game a little bit away from Columbus, then I think you have you have a chance or a better chance. So that's the key to the game for me. What's the key to the game for you for Inter Miami?
1: Well, I think it comes down to possession. I think they have to dominate possession in this game. Um, they have to find a way you know, to get Lewis Morgan involved as well. Just to let him get back, you know, to winning those one v one battles on the right side, that create so much space. And um, you know, as as the season goes on, I think we we have been all expecting um, Lewis, the Lewis Morgan from 2020, and I don't th- I don't think we have yet to see that. So um, I think you start with possession, and then you know, just let L- Lewis Morgan go, L- let him do his thing on the right side. Try to get back his confidence up a little bit. And um, and also the one thing that I would like to see from Inter-Miami, especially, you know, against Columbus, is uh, I would like to see that sense of urgency, right? You know, that playing for, for a playoff spot already. You know, I know there's, there's, there's a way to go still, but I want to see a sense of urgency from the first 10 to 15 minutes. I want to see a team that's going for the three points early on. They, they want to score three goals in the first half. They want to be really aggressive. That sense of urgency that you actually need to make it to the playoffs.
0: See, before you were saying you didn't care really about how they performed against FC Cincinnati. Now you're telling me that you want to see them come out gung-ho, guns blazing from the first minute? See, you're contradicting yourself, I'll say. Um, But look, (laughs) I'm just teasing you, brother. Uh, But look, I don't think we're going to see that from Inter-Miami. I think, you know, they could up. The ante a little bit and and maybe put in a little bit more intensity in terms of how they start games but I don't I just don't think we're going to see that be the identity from this inter-Miami team because their priority which we talked about is being defensively solid and then going from there this is not a team that really wants to get numbers forward and create a whole lot of chances. No, they want to keep things tight at the back and then go from there. So I don't think we'll see an inter-Miami team that comes comes out flying, that that's looking to create goal-scoring opportunities and shows that type of urgency. I think they'll play a more disciplined, organized, you could call it smarter if you want, smarter type of game where they... I'm not going to say they're going to concede possession or try to concede possession, but I don't think they're just going to try to come out and go necessarily toe-for-toe toe with Columbus. Again, I do think that they need to have... Some control of possession. I don't necessarily think they need to win possession, but I think they need to have at least a, a good bit of it in order to, to to cause some damage. If they let Columbus have the lion's share, I think they could be in for a long day, but we'll see how they do. We'll see how full novel approaches the lineup. Jose, who do you put into the starting 11? Any changes that you would make? Obviously, I think Robbie Robinson... I think we both would say he comes back into the starting lineup now that he's had a, a proper week's worth of preparation, or we assume he'll have a proper week of, of preparation, so I think he slots back in on the left. I know you mentioned Lewis Morgan. I think he drops back again to the right wing back spot where he's performing better than when he's been in the attack, so what, what else do you see happening here? Do you see any other changes, or is, is it that same starting lineup with maybe those two changes?
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that's that's about it. You know, as we move on, because of the of the amount of games that Inter Miami will be playing in the next few weeks, I think we can see, you know, a change or two. But for now, I think, you know, with Robbie having the the one week or even more than that, because he came back before the game last weekend, uh, I think he's going to get back in the starting lineup and, and Lewis as well. So, you know, not a lot of changes. I think tactically, they they don't have to change a lot, honestly. You know, they have a... At least they're trying to establish a system, and it's working so far, so they shouldn't change a lot.
0: I think it'll be the same lineup we saw this past weekend. I just think Robbie Robinson will start in on that left wing spot, and I think Lewis Morgan drops into the right wing back spot for Kelvin Leardam. That means Indiana Vasilev gets the start again on the right wing. So, if there was a change... If there was a change, I could maybe see Phil Neville dropping one of the starting three attackers up there in the front line and putting Victor Ulloa in the midfield just to match those numbers better with Columbus Crew. That's the only change I could see happening. And if that's the case, I think he would probably drop Indiana Vasilev and then just go with Gonzalo Wynn and Robbie Robinson up top. But I do think it will be that same 5-2-3. So we'll see if he goes 5-2-3 or 5-3-2. But that's, that's my my prediction for the lineup. Jose, what about a score? What do you think Miami does this weekend? Three points, one point, zero points.
1: No, I think they get three points. Um, I'm going to go with um, 2-1. I think, you know, um, they're going to find a way to get it. It's going to be a late goal again. But I think they'll end up with three points. And, you know, if, listen, if if they're able to do that, if they get three points this weekend... You know, that could be. I know we we have had a couple of um, quote unquote turning points, but, you know, winning against Columbus, a six point game, fighting to get back into, uh, you know, playoff contention. I think this could be a big game for Inter Miami.
0: Okay. So I will say a one to one draw. Don't think Inter Miami wins, but I don't think they lose. I think they keep the good run of form overall going. I think it's going to be a tough challenge just because of the matchup. I think the teams that like to have possession tend to pose inter-Miami a bit more problems. So I'll say a one-to-one draw. Again, Columbus is not in the best of ways. They they've just came off a loss, 3-2 to two loss to Orlando City, but they won before that against Cincinnati. So they've been up and down, very inconsistent. But I think it'll be an interesting match, a good match, and I think it'll end in a one-to-one stalemate. And I don't think it'll be a late goal this time. I don't think we'll see that characteristic yet again. But who knows? So Jose, let's leave it there. We have our Q&A session to do and our final thoughts and we'll do that after this. Okay, guys, it's Q&A time, and guess what? It's just me on this one, because Jose has left the building, I think. El Primo called him up, and they went out for cocktails. No, I'm just kidding. Jose had to run. He had other business to attend to. Unfortunately, he was very apologetic about it, but he has to run run. So, it's just me on this week's Q&A session. Let's jump right into it. Starting with a question from Joseph E. After the game in Cincinnati, do you think Breck will continue getting a starting role? And how do you think Robinson is feeling after all the Chile stuff? So, I think Breck Shea will continue to start because I think Karen Gibbs is still out for another week or two. So, yes, Breck Shea will continue to start. And I think he's been serviceable. He's had his ups and downs like anybody else on this team this season. But I think he is... A respectable option, someone that can do the job, can occasionally give you a goal like he did this weekend. So I think, absolutely, he will continue to start, at least for the time being. Once Karen Gibbs returns, don't think Brexhae stays in the lineup, though. As for Robinson and how he's feeling, we touched on that in the last segment. I do think that, you know, maybe it's in the back of his mind, but the more he's here with Inter Miami, the more he gets back into the flow of things here, I think it'll just fall further back into... The memory, or he just he'll start forgetting about it a little bit more. I was worried at first about how it could impact his his form and his mentality, especially once he took the comment section off. Because obviously, if you're taking comment sections off your Instagram account as a professional player, it's because and when and when comments and remarks are being critical or you're being criticized, then obviously it's impacting you in some way. But it looks like he might not be affected all that much based on the performance he had this weekend against FC Cincinnati. Next question comes from Roberto Rivadeneira. Inter Miami struggled to beat Cincinnati. Not the best team on the season. That makes us not look that strong. What is Neville doing in order to face the top teams in the chart? We cannot afford to lose games if we want to be in the playoffs. So, look, I, I brought it up earlier. And I think, you know, Phil Neville, at least what he said after the match, was he chalked it up to rustiness. From giving the players three days off, there's a busy stretch coming up, starting with, after this Columbus game, four games. In 11 days for Inter-Miami. So he wanted to give the players some time off. They've now gotten that. Maybe that was the risk that they had to take. You know, Maybe risk not getting an as good of a performance against FC Cincinnati. But they were thinking bigger picture. And obviously trying to get the players well rested for this upcoming spell. They were still able to get the win against Cincinnati. Despite not playing at their best. So now the expectation is that they'll continue to raise their level. As they continue to try to push towards the playoffs. A very crucial step or a very crucial stretch excuse me, coming up right now. They have Columbus on Saturday. Then they play on Tuesday against Toronto FC. Followed by a match at home against the New York Red Bulls on the 17th. So that's the following Friday. And then right after that they've got Nashville SC at home on September 22nd. So very busy stretch for Inter-Miami and it will be a very crucial stretch for the team. Have to imagine that the performances get better or at least that's got to be the hope because if they play as poorly as they did this weekend, obviously they're not going to have a very good opportunity to win those games. Next question comes from Lewis. He says, I was skeptical in regards to Gibbs and Marsman, dot, dot, dot. Was I wrong, exclamation point. India Indiana came out of nowhere and he has made tremendous contributions to the team. 19, Hendy, 19, he added Chris Henderson there. Knows what he is doing. Mid-season adjustments have paid off. What could be other areas that he could be working on? Well, I think finding DPs is absolutely something Chris Henderson is probably quietly working on. He's been at almost every game, and you've been able to see him publicly this year. I did notice that he was not around at a recent one. Now, maybe I just missed him, but normally he's out and about there on the sideline before kickoff, and... After the final whistle, even after fans leave the stadium and and the players and their families are hanging around, Chris Henderson, like Jorge Mas, like Jose Mas, like David Beckham when he's around, they're normally there on the sideline or on the field after the match, well after the full-time whistle, and I did not see him at a recent game. I, I can't remember which home game it was. I think it was the most recent one. I noticed his omission there. I was going to see if maybe he's on an international excursion or a scouting trip, possibly, but haven't been able to confirm anything or get any details on that but wouldn't be surprised if he was however I could have just missed him as for what positions he might be looking at well I think the number 10 spot is absolutely one that they're going to try to address for for next season I have also heard though I will refrain from putting a name out there because I haven't gotten it confirmed but I have have heard that there is a new player in camp practicing with the team as of this week so I'll just leave it at that until I can confirm. Stay tuned to my Twitter handle at Franco Panizo or at Miami Total Football or the Substack Miami Total Football for more news maybe later this week because I have heard somebody is in camp. A new face is in camp. Next question comes from Sal Paradise. Figal and LGP have often been mentioned as players most likely to be moved on when the sanctions hit next season. I am convinced we need to keep both. What other players can we move on from in order to keep both? Oof. So... This is where it gets a little tricky because obviously the MLS salaries are out there, but the teams budget situations are not. We don't know exactly how much allocation money every team has, etc, etc, etc. So, hard to say with 100% clarity, but I think based on what Steve has reported that one out of the two of them will have to go. Because the numbers just won't make sense any other way. Now, if there's a way to make it happen, well I think Julián Carranza is definitely a player you move on. I think he will be moved on because he's on a high number and he's just not that important of a player on this squad. Doesn't get a whole lot of minutes, hasn't made that much of an impact. But I still think one of the O's two still have to go as well. If they can keep both of them, do it. Find a way to make it happen because I, I've said it in recent pods. I like that that duo as, a, as your center back building blocks for you know, many scenes to come if you can keep them together. The Argentine brick wall, if, if if you want to call them that. I really like them as a duo. I like what they bring to the table individually and when I've seen them partner together on a better team, I think if they were your center back tandem and a four man backline, I think they could be among the best in MLS in terms of the, the partnership. But not sure we'll get an opportunity to see that after or or much much at all anymore because of the sanctions that are coming up. Next question comes from Gay P. How much value will LGP and the player gain if we keep progressing the way we are doing? If we sell him for $1 million in general allocation money, would that solve our problems the first year of the sanctions? Is he or any other player worth $1 million in general allocation money? Can we do a breakdown of the sanctions for next year? So we can do that at a later later pod because it's going to take a lot of number crunching. Saca las calculadoras, as I have said before. Take out your calculators. Actually, Phil Neville... Coincidentally and humorously enough, said something of the like. He didn't say about the calculators. He wasn't referencing what I'm talking about here, but he did say that he has done the numbers in terms of the points that they need for the season. He said that in uh, the pregame press conference late last week. So he has sacar la calculadoras. He has taken out his calculators to do the math as well. So look, we'll we'll, we'll we can touch on this a little bit later on in the in the year GP because I think it will take a, a longer discussion. But to answer your question, I think LGP can get you a return, but I don't know if it's going to be $1 million. I just don't see that because he's an older player. He's not someone that's still young and up-and-coming. He's an older player, a veteran player, experienced player, so don't know if you're going to be able to get that much for him unless, again, he continues to raise his level and the team continues to raise its level. But even then, teams know the situation Miami's in. Teams know that Inter-Miami's up against the wall, that they have to make... Hard decisions and shed some salaries, some budget hits. So that's also going to play into the negotiating factor, right? So I don't think that they're going to get one million. Gabe P has another question. The second tweet here, another question, but this one is based on the U.S. men's national team qualifying. Why is Pepe not a starter with the national team? I don't see how we we're playing those nines. I think Pepe would do a better job, to be honest. Can I have your opinion on who should be starting? Who should be? our starting number nine. I think is in great form. So, look, I think with Pepe, Ricardo Pepe, the FC Dallas striker who has been playing well this season in MLS, I think it's a matter of experience. He hasn't been with the U.S. Men's National League Team prior to this. He's just still getting his feet wet in MLS and as a professional, I do think there is a chance we could see him in this week's qualifier against Honduras. I wish, I wish Jose would have been able to stick around because we've got to have gotten his opinion on the US National Team ahead of a match against his home nation, Honduras. So, unfortunately, we won't be able to. But, but you know, who do I think should be starting right now as number nine? Right now, I would start Pifolk. I would start Jordan Pifolk. But I think Ricardo Pepe is in the mix to get some minutes. And I think Greg Berhalter on a press conference earlier today, Tuesday kind of alluded to that that you know that they could see him step on the field if the situation calls for it. So don't be surprised if you see him play against Honduras again. I just don't think it'll be just as a starting player or in a starting capacity because he's still getting his feet wet, still adjusting to the international level and Greg Berhalter's ways of, ways of doing things with the US National Team. Next question comes from Twitter. And it's also U.S. Men's National Team related. Read that the U.S. Men's National Team is not playing as a team, but as a group of individuals and how the team has no creativity in the attacking third. This is the same criticism Inter-Miami got during their early and mid-season struggles. Do they need to hire Phil, call up Vasilev and Robbie, switch to three center backs? Look, for me, with the U.S. Men's National Team, and this is a much bigger discussion and maybe... On a pod where we hadn't talked so much about so many other things that's your Miami related, maybe on a week where we have less things about the team to talk about, we can dissect the national team a little bit more, and I know that's something that a lot of listeners would like to hear more about, so absolutely something we can consider doing, but just to be very quick here, I think some of the problems that the U.S. men's national team is having is that Greg Berhalter is not getting the most out of the players he has at his disposal now, Could that be because certain players are injured? Could that be because other players are not in their best forms or not delivering? Sure, but his job is to figure out who is going to get the job done and put them out there to do so. So I think a lot of the blame so far goes on Greg Berhalter. There are things that have impacted the team and the mood around the team that he maybe doesn't have as much control over you know he maybe he can't control Weston McKinney slipping out of the hotel and breaking covid protocols before getting sent home back to or back to Juventus so things there have happened outside of his control but what he has had control over he hasn't done a good enough job of the team hasn't done a good enough job of but it starts with him i think he needs to find a way to exploit the talent that are on the squad this is what has been dubbed as a golden generation by a lot of people in the media a lot of fans so i think that there is a lot of room for improvement there find ways to tap into more of the individual strengths now greg berhalter is a stats guy i don't know how much that is impacting maybe his decisions and maybe he's making things a little too rigid and not giving the team enough ideas or enough freedom i don't know but maybe it's something we can explore a little bit later on On another pod again, in which we have less Inter-Miami related things to talk about, though it never seems like we do because there's always a lot going on with this team. So I will give you my final thoughts because I'm the only one here. I'm the one that has to turn off the lights. And my final thoughts are on Matias Pellegrini, who looks to be enjoying his soccer, his football. Again, he has scored in two of Estudiantes de la Plata's most recent games, including on a penalty kick this past weekend, a very confidently taken penalty and he kissed the crest after he scored just looks to be playing with the type of confidence and happiness and joy that he did not have for much of his time here in South Florida so it's good to see if you're someone that has followed Matias Pellegrini's career or it's good to see if you're an Inter Miami fan that wishes him the best because obviously he had fallen on hard times especially this year given his situation which we've talked about at length we'll see how things go for him the rest of the way Obviously, I don't think he's returning to Inter-Miami next year, even though he's on a loan, but but maybe Inter-Miami can find a way to get some money out of it, maybe a transfer fee, if he continues to, to raise his level and continues to score goals and make an impact for Estudiantes in Argentina. But that does it for this week's podcast. Thank you guys again so much for listening, and please, please give us a follow on all our social media channels. If you haven't already, we just gave away a jersey to one of our regular followers name is Gabriel He's based in Coral Gables I went personally to deliver the jersey and was able to do so he got his hands on them so we'll be doing more of that in the coming weeks and months so make sure you give us a follow on all our social media channels especially on Instagram and YouTube also please don't forget to give us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts formerly known as as iTunes it helps us out tremendously but that does it for this week's show. For Jose Armando, I am Franco Benizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio, your number one source for all things into Miami. And we'll talk to you guys again next